Hello, and welcome back to week three, chapter three, from the book, Simple, How Kids Help Us Understand God. I'm Amy Clarkson, author, reading from this book, and this week's chapter is entitled, Discipline. Remember, if you want to check out any of the other titles, you can find me on the podcast Zone Logos, Z-O-N-L-O-G-O-S, which is Greek for living word. Thanks for following along. Let's get started. Chapter 3, Discipline. Most of us don't like the word discipline. It's not a warm, fuzzy term, and for me, it's been one of the more challenging parts of parenting. There are several reasons it's been tough. For one, it doesn't seem as natural to me as nurturing. When one of my kids is hurt, some strange inner instinct takes over, and I find I don't have to think it through. I just comfort them. For discipline, it takes work and consistency to be effective. My instincts aren't always right, and I spend more time evaluating my actions than the actual discipline took to deliver. It is also something that is not appreciated at the moment. The reaction is never smiling and gratitude, but almost always resistance. The other struggle with discipline is the distinctive styles we all bring to the table. What discipline style would you say you have? I wonder if it is different than other adults in your household. I don't seem to mind if my husband nurtures our kids in different ways than me, but for some reason, when our styles clash on discipline techniques, sparks can fly. Despite how much I may cringe at the idea of discipline, I have learned as a parent that it is necessary. We enter this world as selfish beings, and it's our natural state. We'll talk about this in a later chapter, but it is precisely this act of being bent towards serving self that must be molded and managed. I've already used the word discipline several times, and yet it may be a good idea to define what the word means before we delve in deeper. The first part of the word discipline means to train, teach, or direct. That is palatable. I don't think we have many problems with that concept. It's the part two that we don't like, using punishment to achieve the training. Punishment is defined as suffering, pain, or loss that serves as retribution, or it is defined as the penalty inflicted on the person who did the offense. Discipline then is using a penalty pain, suffering, or loss in attempts to train, teach, or direct someone. Can you think of why discipline is different than punishment? Punishment is the consequence without the desire to teach or help someone mature and be healthy. It's the hurt or pain without a plan forward. What's worse is when punishment degrades into cruelty or violence and becomes abuse. Please understand that we are talking about discipline and not abuse. It is a devastating fact that 
many of you have only experienced unhealthy discipline, power wielded to intimidate and belittle. It is crucial also to mention here that behind the idea of good discipline, we expect a healthy relationship. In other words, I love my kids like crazy. I cannot separate that truth from our relationship. Thus, any correction or behavior changes I'm working on is assumed to come out of that love. My children must trust that fact implicitly. Otherwise, discipline will be skewed into something harmful. Correction is not about power or perfect behavior. This is discipline that stems from wanting the absolute best for my kids. From our working definition of discipline, let's encompass the words in the definition of punishment, penalty, loss, pain, etc., into the word consequence. It's a term I hear more frequently than punishment and is easier to conceptualize with kids, either in a family, a school, church, or other organization. Thus, discipline is training, teaching, and directing with the use of consequence. Historically, there are two types of consequences we talk about in discipline. One is external consequences, and the other is natural consequences. Remember, at the start, I mentioned that we all have different styles of discipline. Here is one place this comes to play. I would guess for you, doling out one of these types of consequences comes more naturally than the other. I know it does for me. In our home, we try to use a mixture of the two types of consequences. An external consequence would be taking a privilege away or the child is confined to their room. For example, my kids love dessert. Occasionally they get busy after dinner and forget that we have sweet morsels on our shelves, but this is very rare. Usually it's the first request out of their mouths after they eat. The rule in our home is you don't get dessert unless you finish the food on your plate. Invariably, someone decides they don't like green beans or are so full they can't eat another bite. Yet the request is still there. Can I have dessert? The behavior we want our kids to learn with this rule is being respectful of the meal provided, as well as learning healthy nutritional habits. The punishment of not getting dessert is the external measure or consequence we've implemented. This may not seem especially painful to you, but trust me when I say that the tears spilled over this one rule have been very abundant over the years. When I send one of my kids to their rooms, I am taking away the privilege of spending time with the rest of the family. We go on with our activities without the offending member, which, especially when they were young, was hard to endure. As they age, this time out from external consequences morphs into the age-old discipline of grounding. Other ways discipline occurs is through natural consequences. This form of punishment seems more straightforward to dole out, and yet there is still a challenge. The challenge is not to intervene, 
and rescue my child, but allow the learning to occur through the painful outcome. For instance, one of the traits we are training into our kids is responsibility. My daughter in the fourth grade is old enough to remember she has homework and to take the initiative to do that work. I will often prompt them when they get home from school saying, does anyone have homework they need to do? That is the extent though of my intervention. When we are walking out the door the next morning to school and I hear a panicked, I have homework. It is time for me to allow the natural consequences to occur. Yes, it is painful. And for my perfectionistic daughter, there will be tears. But training is happening before my eyes. Additional examples of natural consequences have been eating an unfavorable school lunch because a child wanted to put off lunch making until we were headed to the car for school and freezing at recess because they refused to bring a jacket. As a parent, I can tell you that despite how challenging it is for me to be consistent and wise in my discipline decisions, the benefits are apparent. Over time, my children are gradually shaped into the type of beings that embody the character traits I and my husband value. Again, it's not about behaving well. We are aiming for kind, respectful, compassionate, self-controlled people that will contribute in their unique way to the world. The external and natural consequences are the means of training and refining their dispositions. Quite purposely, I haven't mentioned anything in regard to words and discipline. Have you noticed that? It's because whether by lecturing, yelling, or threatening, words have insignificant effect in permanently changing behavior. When verbal power struggles entwine themselves with discipline, it usually has more to do with me feeling out of control. Thankfully, God doesn't lose control, so don't expect any long lectures or verbal threats from him in your life. I think we've delved enough on discipline with children and hopefully laid a useful framework for looking at God and discipline. Now, why do you think, in general, people are uncomfortable with the theological concept that links God with discipline. I wonder if part of it is because at first blush, they are removing the idea of a relationship with God and assuming an authoritative, cold, uncaring figure is doling out punishment on a whim. I wouldn't like that kind of God either. First then, like a parent, we must understand that any training in our lives that comes from God starts with the basis of love and relationship. The Bible mentions this idea in both the Old Testament and New Testament with the same words. Proverbs 3.12 out of the NIV says, Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father the son he delights in. Hebrews 12.6 of the NIV says, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. There is an excellent reason then we are looking at parents and kids 
to understand God and discipline. The Bible tells us it is precisely the same. Second, like with our children, we must grasp that God isn't seeking perfect behavior, but is aiming for good character. The book of Hebrews goes on to mention this, and verse 11 of chapter 12 states, out of the NIV, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. In that vein, I think we can see God's discipline as both external and natural consequences at play in our lives being used to refine our nature. Hebrews mentions righteousness and peace as the aims of his discipline. But as to individual character traits, what do you think God is perfecting us into? I could start a lengthy list here, but I wonder, could it be as simple as to be like Christ? Christ's nature, or character, is the nature he seeks for us. One way then to evaluate if the painful circumstances happening in your life or discipline versus the pain we talked about in chapter 1 that comes from living on earth with other people, is to look for direct evidence that it is pushing you towards more Christ-likeness. One of the many things he is working out inside me to become more Christ-like is my ego. I am a prideful person and gravitate towards things that inflate my ego A while back, I was serving as a chaplain for a woman's organization to which I belonged to. As the months went by, I began to let any praise of the devotional I gave feed my pride. We had a joint meeting with another group scheduled, and I remember thinking inwardly how much I was going to enjoy wowing the other group with my devotion. Leave it to God to know I needed some discipline. I came to that joint meeting ready to impress, only to find that the chaplain from the other group was giving the devotional. I honestly believe that evening I experienced an external consequence for my pride. Just as I take away the privilege of dessert sometimes for my kids, God took away the opportunity of speaking that night. It was painful to go through the process of having that pride illuminated, and it's icky but I needed that external consequence to wake me up. God also works through natural consequences to discipline us. Like with my daughter and her homework, this is less about physical punishment and more God not intervening and not rescuing us. At times, this may be genuine discomfort or even illness from poor decisions I've made. A natural consequence of speaking unkindly about someone may be the loss of a relationship, or having unkind things said about me, either of which would be painful. I may want God to rescue me from an overburdened schedule, but he likely will allow me to feel the stress and frenzy of it all to hopefully discipline me into the art of saying no. I may want God to rid my mind of scary images after watching a horror movie I shouldn't have seen, but he likely will allow me to experience the consequential fear for a few weeks to guide me away from that 
harm in the future. There is something else we can learn about parenthood, discipline, and God. While I have allowed painful and external consequences for my kids, I have never as a parent arbitrarily caused pain. This is extremely important to differentiate. One example of this would be when my two-year-old went through the process of learning that fire is dangerous and can hurt. I had watched him express interest in candles and flames in our fireplace for weeks. I felt I was always hovering, pulling him out of harm's way and scolding him verbally. One day, he was examining a burning candle, and I had gone through the, no, hot, lingo several times while moving his finger away. He wasn't getting it. I decided to let him burn himself. I decided to allow a natural consequence of touching fire to occur. His little finger went towards the flame, and I repeated my admonishing, but I didn't intervene. The reaction was immediate. He burst out into tears at the pain of the heat, and I swept him up and kissed his finger and told him how sorry I was. I don't even think the flame honestly burned him, but I can tell you, I never had to correct him or scold him again when it came to fires. He learned, and the heat trained him well. While I allowed that hurt in a monitored situation, I would never randomly burn my children to teach them about fire. Such unpredictable harm would serve no purpose in the realm of training or teaching. It's the same with God, and hear me on this. He does not capriciously hurt us with the hope that we may learn something. God does not dole out tragedy as a discipline. I may allow my kids to crash into each other when they are running too fast in the house and let that natural consequence of their speed teach them to slow down, but I would not externally shove them into each other as a form of training or discipline. A natural consequence of smoking 40 years may be lung cancer, but trust me, God does not give cancer to people to punish or discipline them. God does not arbitrarily strike cities with natural disasters or plunge airplanes into the ground to teach us humans a lesson. As a parent, I realize how necessary discipline is. Without any correction, my kid's natural tendency would be self-serving. If there was never any external consequences, and I rescued them from any natural consequence, I would, in turn, be raising selfish, entitled, uncaring, uncompromising, dependent beings who in all likelihood wouldn't be able to transition into adulthood. Not only that, my guess is they wouldn't be very happy or fulfilled. I love my children and can only hope they will find meaning, contentment, and joy in life. And to increase those odds, I must do the challenging work of training now. How do I know this? Because I am a flawed human being 
who at times has tried the easy way out, and instead of discipline, I've rescued or let a boundary go. I've been that parent who's allowed overindulgence in screen time. No limitations with a time limit may have initially brought delight to my little ones, but I can tell you at the end of those days, my kids are miserable. God, too, wants the best for us. He wants us to have joy, peace, and purpose. Like a parent, he loves us enough to go through the hard work of discipline, despite the temporary pain it may cause. One last little metaphor I wanted to mention. If you are a parent, you know that no two children are the same. It was a shock to me to realize that the discipline technique that had worked so well for my daughter did not work at all for my son. My introvert son would find it a reward to be banished to his room, while the extroverted son finds this to be the worst punishment ever. Part of being a parent and learning that unique makeup of my kids is tailoring the training to them individually. God does the same with us. There is an obscure scripture that talks about this. In Isaiah chapter 28, verses 24 through 29, it talks about a farmer and his crops. The verses point out that this farmer treats the crops differently, both in sowing and in harvesting. Caraway is beaten with a rod, cumin, a stick, and grain must be ground. The description ends with, in quotes, All this also comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent, end quote. And that's from verse 29. We are all so different, and God, who is wise and wonderful, knows me so well that correction for my character is tailor-designed. One final thought, which is highly relevant to touch on. If you've been around kids and have needed to correct a behavior, you probably understand that the child also has a role in that discipline. They have a choice, free will, on how they respond to the consequences. If I give my daughter a warning look and she decides in that instant to course correct, then nothing else needs to be done. This, of course, would be ideal, and I wish all of my kids could just learn from looks. However, if she ignores the visual warning and ignores the verbal caution and even resists the external consequence, the discipline is going to escalate. Our supplication versus our refusal to change may also play a part in God's discipline. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have the visual warning from God over the potential escalation of my ignoring his gentle correction. It is this fact that may cause some of the discrepancies you notice with discipline in God. We often think how harsh God was dealing with the Israelites in the Old Testament, but perhaps that was the escalation of ignored, mild consequences. 
Maybe you've seen more severe discipline in your life or someone you love and you think it's not fair. Could it just be that they disregarded the other attempts? Though we may be uncomfortable with the idea of a disciplining God, I think our experience of discipline within a family structure can help us conceptualize it and ultimately even be grateful for it. We must always know it's meant to form and guide us into something more significant and given by a God who is good and wise. In fact, it's more evidence of how much he genuinely adores us.